Um, and I was just like, I will make a better cake and I will win. <laughs> I will win the street competition. <laughs> Hello, I'm Poonam and welcome to Crew Chats podcast where I speak to the people that work behind the scenes in film, TV and theatre. For this episode, I spoke to Hope economist Dorothy Barrick about creating fake worms, storytelling through food and working to your strengths. Hi, Dorothy. Hi, Poonam. Nice to see you. Yeah, likewise. And actually... um. I think we're following each other on Instagram, so it's nice to put faces to names. Yes, yes, totally. <laughs> um, so I'm going to start off by asking the first question. You're, you're a home economist, and what does that involve for you? Ooh, uh, so basically, home economist, I mean, it sounds so 1950s, <laughs> but it's basically the food on a film set. I mean, often people go, oh, you do catering. I'm like, no, I don't do catering. It's the food when actors are eating or food is seen, not necessarily being eaten, uh, on a film set um, or a TV show. And what do you think makes food appealing on screen? Oh, I know that's an odd uh, question to ask because yeah. I assume sometimes the food doesn't need to look appealing or isn't meant to look appealing. But Well, that that's the thing is sometimes... It's funny, I just sent somebody something, it was a risk assessment, and it was titled Meager Meal, <laughs> <laughs> which, which kind of describes that sometimes you really want it to look, yeah. <laughs> you know, sad and meager, and this, you know, this is for an upcoming show that's not out yet, so I'm not sure I can say what it is, but it was supposed to look sad, you know, kind of badly done and sad. But in general, you kind of want it to look appetizing and nice and, you know, pretty colors and textures and uh, shapes. But it all depends on what the script is. It could, you know, that's, you know, what is storytelling through through the food, hopefully, is conveying that, you know, some kind of feeling, whether it's a meager meal or a, something badly cooked or burnt uh, you know, by someone who doesn't know what they're doing or thinks, I think it can say a lot of different things. And what is your process in that? So how does your, you mentioned a, a brief, I guess, is how does your process, how do you get onto a job? And then how do you produce, come to the final product? Uh, let's see. Well, it, it depends on, on what it is, whether it's kind of a long-term project. Um, I'm fairly new to this. I've, I started last about, uh, four or five years. So often it was quite, it's quite last minute. This is what you need to do. Uh, here's the script pages. And, the, you know, you get a quick brief of what, what they need for the scene. Um, if it's kind of a bigger project that you have your more time, then it's an initial meeting with you know, the set decorator and kind of the art department crew who say, okay, this, you know, they send you the full script and, you know, show you mood boards and kind of give you a, a feel of what they're looking for. And then it depends. Sometimes the production designer set decorator will send you what they want or what, what their vision is, or they'll, leave it up to you and say, okay, here is what, you know, here's the script, here are some visuals, here's some mood boards. Then you go back and do research 
and look at things and come with your ideas and then go from there. You mentioned research and for what are your sources of research? I think more, maybe more particularly for maybe obscure period dramas or fantasy stuff where recipes weren't as um, written down, I guess. There wasn't a right. Yeah. I mean, historical, I just finished a kind of Victorian show that that will be out fairly soon with um, lovely crew and amazing art um, set decorator Jude Farr. And that involved a lot of books. You know, I did end up buying books. I also had books because I, I couldn't seem to find a lot of Victorian recipes online. I mean, you can go to probably the British Library, you can, but I kind of wanted to see images and you can, you know, find a lot of them on Pinterest and whatnot, but I ended up getting quite a few books and going through those and they were incredibly helpful, especially for cakes and kind of colors and shapes and what, you know, what was served then. Actually, and in regards to that kind of period thing is, I guess now, in this world that we live in, there's food from all over the world is available to us and from all parts of the world, and all sorts of ingredients. Back saying that Victorian drama, how do you kind of like make it historically accurate in that, but also keep it looking the way it's meant to look? Because I guess it's a very visual thing, aside from the taste in this case. Yes. I mean, like in terms of Victorian food, I thought... You know, you do have to end up kind of reading a little bit about the recipes and about what was like what was fashionable at the time. I mean, saffron or, you know, something I believe spice, like all kinds of spices were really, you know, really popular then. So those type of things you kind of have to read a little bit into to and historically accurate if you have let's say um a historical advisor which we which we did on this particular show i would often ask him okay what do you, what do you think about this is this and then i would get an opinion oh well if it's canapes you know the ladies would be wearing gloves and you wouldn't have something with like kind of gooey egg and which made sense it is such a collaborative effort. I always feel like the more help I can get with the more expertise that's available, then the better, you know, it helps yeah. me do my job. Of course. Is, does taste play a part in your, in the, in the cooking, not your cooking in life, because I guess it does, but I, um, for your whole work? <laughs> uh, yes, I think it does because you want the actors or standby actors uh, to enjoy what they're eating. Like, let's say on a particular show, we did a big banquet scene. And, you know, for the most part, I think it had, to, it was like vegetarian, mostly kind of veggie, gluten-free. So I just, I made like a vegetable terrine that looked like a salmon terrine. And one of the French actresses was like, ah, oh, c'est pas trop mal votre pâté, uh, you know, pâté. You know, whatever. I was like, oh, merci. <laughs> You know, um, uh, so it does. I think you know if you're sat there for two hours eating a bite of something, I want to try and make it taste as good as possible. As nice as, yeah, as good as possible. And you kind of mentioned the sort of different um, dietary requirements. Is that 
when you're trying to say, for example, you've got someone, the, the, the script calls for someone eating a whole chicken, but the person's a vegetarian, those kinds of instances and I guess challenges, I, I suppose, how do you deal with those? And what's your kind of go-to, I guess, process in that, in that situation? Uh, well, if there's one scene and everyone's kind of eating something similar, if you can make it, you know, gluten-free and dairy-free and vegan and whatever needs to, it needs to be, then there's often some experimentation in, and to be honest, YouTube, <laughs> there's so <laughs> much on YouTube. Um, like I had a, you know, I remember I worked on season one of the great, and there was a lot of food on that set. And there were a lot of things that, to be honest, I had never done. And they were like, can you make um, kind of low sugar, gluten-free dirt and worms? And I was like, yeah, oh. sure, no problem. And then I was like, what, what, what could that <laughs> be? But there are like 25 YouTube videos on how to make worms. Oh, <laughs> I wonder if that's like aimed at kids, kid friendly, like worm. <laughs> but I ended up making, I mean, they were really good. They were like gelatin and kind of cranberry blueberry juice uh, mixed with maybe almond milk. And then the dirt was ground almonds and cacao and something called xylitol. And they looked great. Whoa. They looked like worms. I'm going to have to add. Um, the Great is something I need to watch because I heard so much about it. But I, if, when I do watch, I will look out for that scene. Yeah, it's really fun. <laughs> um, actually, what has been the most challenging thing you've been asked to make? Let's see. The most challenging thing. I think things are fairly challenging when you haven't done them before. When I first started this job, that was probably it. it was, you know, I hadn't quite gotten into fondant covered cakes and fancy piping and things and four or five years later it's much easier but I always say if something's out of my league from the start like let's say somebody called me and said you know can you make you know kind of enormous uh detailed gingerbread house I mean, now I could probably do, you know, I could do a smaller, you know, I could do what I could do. one. But when I know exactly what they're talking, I, I would rather pass that off to somebody that I know is really, really great at that rather than risk delivering something that I wasn't happy with or maybe the client wasn't happy with. That's so interesting, actually, because I do you sometimes do find people they may do the opposite. So I think it's pretty cool that you kind of just, you acknowledge, like, acknowledge your strengths, I guess, as well, and then say, but also you're willing to sort of take, learn over time as well. And I think that's the thing. I don't know what I'm saying, but I guess Definitely. I just think that's really cool because people wouldn't want to say, would feel bad saying no to a job. Do you see what I mean? Right, right. And then like, I mean, like if I feel like I could totally do it and I've never done it before or I yeah, can use it or you know yeah. can you make a fake heart that bleeds blood I I, was, I mean <laughs> that was when I was like yeah sure can you get me the <laughs> proper mold and then I mess around with it and I and I could do it but yeah. you know I think it's just knowing yourself and knowing your strengths and you know how it works like on a film set, if you have hold, held something, you can't mm. hold things up. No. You, can't, you can't lose a day 
doing something over. You have to deliver it on time and perfectly when it's needed. Otherwise, you're just the cog and, you know, the wheel. So I would rather, yeah, I would rather pass pass something on than. I think that's, I think that's pretty cool. <laughs> no, I think it's like, I, I think it's that. I think that you can be open to that and not, yeah, I think sometimes you get really insular about these things as well um, or feel a way about passing stuff on to other people. Um, yeah, I can imagine. I mean, I, I guess I learned early on, like somebody got me into this job who does this and was very kind to kind of give me my first job. And that, you know, but it's very much about we all pass jobs in between ourselves. And I have a few women who mentor me, who I feel like have totally helped me and mentored me through this that I would never have, you know, it's not something that you can learn in school. It's, no. you, you have to kind of learn through doing. Yeah, I feel like, you know, I have to pass that on as well. Yeah, I think that's really nice. And and that leads nicely on to questions. How did you get into what, and what you do now? Well, I was in I'll just briefly say quickly you know I was in fashion before for about 10 years in fashion design and when we moved to London I I just I had had enough I had lost my job I had decided I wanted to kind of rejig my career into food I had set up a business that had basically failed but to be honest I use all of that you know I had uh, r- help run a business with a friend who's a nutritionist and we kind of did recipe development and I just could never make it work and I knew I had to close that uh, and I was following somebody on Instagram Juliet Baptiste Kennedy who's a great home economist and she put up on her and she put up on her she needed a stand-in so I stood in for her one day and she kind of briefed me on everything and I loved it I was like oh my gosh this is the best like I want to do this so she kind of kept sending me jobs probably what she thought that I could do you know kind of easy-ish jobs and then that was it I kind of you know once you kind of get your foot in the door you can kind of slowly build your clients and then I got a big break on season one of the great where I believe one of the home economists was not available because she had something else going on and I I was called in and my friend Delia O'Brien who was doing standby props was like do you want to do this and I guess the production designer Francesca Di Mattioli was okay with me coming in and I did it and I loved it. And then I met other home economists like Catherine Kunzig. And then I just kind of annoyed her and I called her and said, you know, can I assist you? Can I prep with you? (laughs) Can I do anything? And I did that. Then I met Lisa Heathcote and same thing, you know, can I assist you? Can I prep with you? Can I, you know, and they would call me to stand in for things and it kind of that's how it worked can I I was going to ask you because I I mean I know I've I've read a bit more about you as well but I was going to say is that you've had you mentioned the fashion career and I think also you did some modeling as well in your earlier career yeah so all the the 
the different types of things you've been involved with, how do you think that has shaped how you work in the industry now or has it? Definitely. I mean, as I say, like my kind of business doing recipe development with my friend and nutrition kind of, you know, alongside nutrition and whatnot, that was really helpful. Now, when someone would need something dairy-free or gluten-free or whatever, I kind of have that experience to make stuff taste good. And it's just a bit easier Uh, being on set. That feels really comfortable because I, you know, I left home at 16 and started modeling and doing like L'Oreal hair commercials and catalogs and British Elle and British, you know, magazines. So that's kind of traveling with a crew, Mm. you know, where you kind of work intensely together for whatever it is, three days a week uh, was very familiar. And it's a very collaborative, you know, that I think that's why I loved being on set again, was I knew that world and I felt comfortable in that world. And is it a bit scary going, changing careers? It's, yes, definitely. I mean, definitely. I mean, especially because, you know, I just turned 50. So you don't look it by the way. Oh, oh thank you. <laughs> <laughs> you know, <laughs> it is because I was lucky to have at that point my ex-partner who helped me kind of financially stay afloat because it is scary you know you go from one thing where you're making a decent living and Mm. then to nothing and then to building it back up again and not knowing whether it's going to kind of kick in or not or if there's enough work out there or Yes, definitely. But it's thrilling. I mean, I lo- I just absolutely love this job from the minute I started. I was just obsessed, basically. What do you most enjoy about it? I love that it's different all the time. I love that it feels challenging. I love when when it's creative, when you get that like cre- like okay, this is what we need and you sit down and go, "Okay, what am I going to do? What am I going to make?" And then you start experimenting with things and things start to come out. And then you kind of see the vision of, you know, what they're looking for and how you can kind of make that mm. come to life. I wanted to, I was going to ask you about the the cooking, the process, because I guess you do your experiment. I assume you do, you experiment and you recipe test and figure stuff out. But on the day, I guess the thing that you're, it's ultimately food is a perishable item. So how how long before uh, it needs to be on set? Are you cooking these things or do you prep when you get to set? Is this, Do they accommodate for you? It depends. It really depends on, I mean, I generally prep everything in my kitchen at home, which okay. is, you know, a kind of professional kitchen. You know, I have the, you know, everything's, you know, checked by the council. I have a five star rating, all of oh, that. Wow. I mean, you know, they they want to know that if you're cooking in your own kitchen, that it's safe, you know, yeah, it's safe. <laughs> so generally what the easiest thing to do is just prep it at home and bring it. But then having said that, it's it can be something like I was recently up in Scotland where I needed to do kind of a big dinner scene. So thinking about a menu that you can kind of transport, reheat or 
even make some of it there like pasta. So I just brought, you know, all the pasta up and a big pressure cooker for the risotto and, you know, kind of all of my equipment that's easily kind of lugged around to make it, you know, as fresh as possible and as easy, easily, you know, kind of done Mm. with two trestle tables in a stately home, like in the back somewhere. (laughs) So it just, it just depends. But all the cakes and everything I brought up in the car. Oh, I was just yeah. gonna say you you, you, you put when you pull the face. I was like, do you are you nervous doing that sometimes? Are things like that? Yes, definitely. <laughs> I mean, what did I do recently? I did three massive, massive cakes, and it was hot like it is now mm. um, in South London, and just like getting them there and in one piece. Oh. I was just so <laughs> relieved that it was all fine, that nothing slid around or. Oh. But you figure out, yeah, how to move things around and what works and and what doesn't. If something doesn't go to plan, what do you? What's your kind of like contingency? I guess what what in I don't know if it may may hopefully it hasn't doesn't happen to you either. But if something were to sort of like not cook, you know, in the recipe testing, it went as perfectly as it has to be, or but on the day when you needed it, it's kind of gone a bit awry. You're like, I guess with normal cooking, it happens uh, as well. <laughs> well. If you if you feel slightly unsure about something, then I would try and make two. Or, you know, if it's something that they need repeats of anyhow, then, you know, you make a couple extra. So you have some backups. Uh, and what and when you tell people what you do, whether it's your friends or family, what's their uh, what's their reaction? Oh, I didn't even know that was a job. Oh, I never thought about that, about who actually did that. And that, or and then later people go, you know what? Now everything that I watch on TV, I wonder who did the food. <laughs> <laughs> so that's kind of generally the reaction. Because, but the first thing is, oh, okay, so you do catering? No, I don't do catering. Um, there's nothing wrong with catering. We all love the catering on yeah. set, but it's not catering. It's different. And do your friends and family kind of expect you to be? their go-to chef that then that leads on from the because it's part of your job they're expecting a lot from you when you're cooking for them. um no not necessarily <laughs> but you know I really enjoy cooking like I was recently in France and my friend um Christophe his husband Olaf is German and and I and is a very good cook so I just said to him look I'm here I know I'm sure you like to do things in a specific way. So just let me know and I'll be your assistant. Um, And you know what? We had the greatest time ever cooking because, yeah, I, you know, he was like, okay, so do this and do, you know, and and not in a bossy way, but it's just like, if same thing, if I wanted someone to help me prep, if they were doing it all wrong, (laughs) it might annoy me, (laughs) you know, sometimes you just think, gosh, I'd rather do it myself, but if you say to them, look, this is how I want it done, then it makes things easier. Yeah, it's true. It's true. Yeah. Um, what's the most common thing you get asked to make? Hmm, let's see. Probably like eggs and toast. Really? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or breakfast, some kind of breakfast that's like, oh, 
vegan eggs and toast, eggs and toast, eggs and beans and toast. Uh, yeah, because I, I guess, you know, there's a lot of scenes that happen over breakfast. And you kind of alluded to earlier, actually, but what is the importance of having food as a part of a scene, in your opinion? In my opinion, I mean, I think, you know, the different types of food says a lot about a character maybe i would probably you know if, if i were to sit in front of like three or four people and kind of understand their personalities be like i bet this person would like this and this person would like this so i imagine in you know a script writer or somebody when they would write a character they probably you know if they're into food would kind of have different ideas of what they would like to eat or what they eat or what is in front of them you know do you and you kind of said it there but do you find yourself go out to eat kind of making judgments about people based on what they order <laughs> <laughs> do you know what no actually no and to, and to be honest people people often think you know because you work in for you would be like a food snob or something and I'm, and I'm not you know what I mean like I love a cheese toasted just like anybody else does or you know I no I would that's funny maybe I will though <laughs> <laughs> no you will you'll go out. you'll go no. to your barbecue today and you'll be like yeah this person <laughs> <laughs> and if you were going to give your younger self some advice what would it be Ooh, let's see listen to your dad oh yeah oh and yeah okay maybe my mom but my dad was always <laughs> like the advice. my dad is always like the advice giver and I think you know instead of and, and he's really sensible and cool and I adore him and he gave me some advice that I didn't take and you know what if I would have just gone you know what that's probably a good idea do you think I mean I don't know the duration from when he gave you the advice to then now but I guess I think maybe it's like a parent child thing or like a teenage thing I don't know but yeah, you kind of need to live that whole experience I think before you're like I, oh. yeah I think you do <laughs> kind of do I mean we all hopefully learn from our mistakes right even if yeah. we have to make them over and over again, you know, you might eventually learn something from it. I have. Yeah, I, I definitely think so. And I think I can't, I'm not going to butcher the, the thing that I kind of read it in, but I don't know if you've heard of the book Atomic Habits by James Clear. But, no, I haven't. But he had this thing of like, I mean, mistakes are mistakes, but you can't see them as, um, you should see them as opportunities of learning. I think, I think that's how he's kind of phrasing it. And I think that's right. really true. I would agree. But I like that. Listen yes. to your dad. Um, but another thing from what um, what would I tell my younger self? Hmm. I should maybe believe in yourself a little bit more. You know, like I thought maybe for a long time since I wasn't schooled properly or a trained chef or a trained this or that that it wasn't valuable, but. It still is. And you know what? I have taught myself how to do everything. And that's just as valuable as having, you know, learned half of it in school. You know, it doesn't matter whether you learn it on YouTube or in school. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, this, well, I guess that like we were speaking about earlier by experience. Yeah, I, would, I think that's nice. That's a nice piece. I think we do sometimes forget to 
have faith in ourselves <laughs> right right I mean it's hard when you yeah yeah it is difficult to yeah. do and in the moment it's probably really hard to even convince yourself of it sometimes exactly but, yeah do you I know you sort of spoke about your process and um when you get a brief whether it's from production designer this art department or the set decorator but do you get a little bit of freedom in terms of the creativity of things and I guess I'm in my head and this is the mistake that I'm making as well as I when I think of home economist food or food stylist or food on a production I'm thinking of the pretty cakes and sweets and the banquets um right but I, that's not the only thing you make of course um but do you get a degree of creativity with those things definitely um my most recent show it was the first time that I really did have that feel like of being fully trusted and me fully trusting myself yeah that I could I could do what I want in it within you know mm. the kind of container of you know historically hopefully accurate you know as accurate as you can be um food and not, you know, it was accurate-ish. I think everyone was happy that, you know, it was within that. But my set decorator, Jude, after I sent the first few weeks or the first kind of month, like, here's what, you know, here's what I'm planning. Here's what was shot. And I kind of was very organized with like, here's mood boards. Here's what I'm thinking. Here's what. And then I sent, every, I sent you know, all pictures of what was finally sent out on set. She just said, you know what? It all looks great. Like mm. just go for it. Oh. And that was such a nice feeling. That was just like, you know what? And then I, I mean, not that from the beginning, I kind of threw myself into it. And on the weekends, if there was something coming up, I'd be making, you know, practicing my, royal icing kind of techniques and trying things and you know then I really 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 wanted it to be as perfect and as beautiful as possible and it was incredibly creative and I loved 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 doing that it was I was just in like pure happiness for six months because it, it was incredibly creative Oh, what do you think you learned from that experience? Gosh, loads. I've done, yeah, how to organize myself, um, the timings of things, how kind of my creative process works and how I need to structure my time to let that kind of flow, if that makes sense. Mm. And that being the more organized I was and the more I knew what was coming up, uh, the more than I could give my space, myself space and time and whatnot to make sure that, and I always, always, always over prepped and made more than I thought would even be sent out. And generally was all sent out. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's pretty cool. So did you find yourself sometimes in the kitchen all hours kind of uh, beavering away for want of a better word? Oh my gosh. Yes, I finished my show and literally a week later, I was so like kind of, I was like, oh, I miss like my cake making. I really <laughs> missed it. I felt kind of sad. And so there was a street party and 
I had already made a cake and I woke up one morning at like 5.30 a.m. Um, and I was just like, I will make a better cake and I will win. <laughs> I will win the street competition. <laughs> be Victorian with the best. And I just got a be in my bonnet about this. <laughs> And then I didn't win the weight cake competition. Oh, no. <laughs> um, I don't know. I think they knew I was somehow professional and that was unfair. And, you know, so, but. Aww. Yeah, aww. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you said in that, in that production that all the food went out. What happens to all the food after it's been shot on? Do you know what? Health and safety after a certain amount of time on set and under the lights, um, you have to chuck it out. But having said that, you know, I think most home economists that I know donate a lot to food banks, including myself, like our Muswell Hill Soup Kitchen. I have a really close relationship. Um, I have a guy, Andy, who comes over and picks up. If I'm on the way home, I'm like, I have this, you know, a, a box of, you know, broccoli and I have 20 packs of mozzarella or whatever it is. There gets, but there is food wastage that there's no way around that. There is always, you know, you can't kind of save Do or serve that. food that's been sitting under hot lights no. for all day. No. Does some, does some stuff, the stuff that you can eat, of course, get eaten? I'm just, it gets yeah, I mean, between the crew, I guess, because I'd be well, one of those yeah, people like, I want a bit of cake. Might, there, you know, there might be a bit of cake. <laughs> if it happens under lights and there's like six repeats and you have two in the fridge, there, there might be some cake eating <laughs> <laughs> um well that brings me nicely on to my final question which is what are your three to watch recommendations uh well at first i thought maybe you should should they all be food related and i thought no i don't just watch food related films you know what are <laughs> like what are the ones that like what are the films that are memorable from there's one that is food related and that I watched fairly recently that I loved and it's it's a French film but I believe it's in the last it's it's not a really old French film it's called Delicieux which is oh. delicious which is different than a tv show there's it's a film and it's Isabelle Carré and I loved it Delicieux. I loved it I don't yeah Delicieux lovely story beautiful cinematography and beautiful food and i just loved it i thought it was very charming oh um just um, on that do you, just sorry uh, just because do you find yourself um particularly looking at food in those kinds of films definitely yeah definitely yeah. and that was a french film and I just went to visit my friends in France and I did, I lived in France for 10 years. Mm. So a lot of, I don't know what I've learned about food was in France for sure. That mm. so that was really, I don't know. I thought that was a really lovely film that I really enjoyed. Oh, okay. Let's check that out. And then my other ones are very, <laughs> I don't know. They're very American. That's okay. Um, <laughs> one of my favorite films was, what's called the right stuff have you ever seen the right stuff i feel like this rings a bell it's about the astronauts no i haven't seen it no 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 it's about the story of chuck yeager basically who broke the sound barrier and mm. and it's sam shepherd who i love and who i have a fun little tidbit about who i met in new york after being a 
huge fan forever and ended up going out drinking tequila oh. and dancing the two-step <laughs> oh wow <laughs> and it's you know my dad was a pilot when I was growing up so seeing I don't know all the young pilots in their suits come over for like barbecues and whatnot it's just you know it it, it makes me smile oh, and that's quite that nostalgic movie. no doubt yeah, yeah, very nostalgic. Mm. And then my other, I love, you know what I love? This is, uh, was almost famous. I'm sure a lot of people love. I love 70s music. I love 70s style. I loved Kate Hudson and Billy Crudup. It just, like, it's just one of the cutest movies. And oh. Why have you I not seen it? No, I don't. And no. I'm going to oh. look it up right now. <laughs> It's so good. It's just like the best soundtrack, the best clothes, like the sweetest kind of story. That sounds like a nice movie. I mean, all of them yeah. sound like a nice movie, but it sounds like a nice, easy watch. It's a really easy watch. Oh. And then I would add for food and shows, just a couple. Yeah, yeah go on. A, The Great, because there's loads of food, and Nicholas Holt and l fanning throughout the whole series um the writer you know had them like at the breakfast table at this you know like it's he obviously loves food and francesca who's the uh production designer and tony mcnormand who's the writer they obviously you know it was a big part and i did one and part of season two but sam dixon did uh I think season two and three uh-huh. and she did an amazing job and the food, there's lots of food. The other one, if you haven't seen yet and everybody at this point, I think probably has heard about it or seen it is the bear. No. So this is on my, t- my friend recommended okay. this to me like a year oh. ago and it's been on my list of things to watch. Cause it's about a chef, isn't it? It is. Yeah. It is. And that's, that is, yeah, that was great. I need to watch that. It, it's it's quite yeah. short episodes from what I've. They're quite. I they quite... it's two. It's two seasons and quite short episodes. I yes, yes, I think so. But you'll love it. You'll okay, love it. I, I uh, the, a few of those are already on my list, so I need to. I need to get cracking. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'll get eating as well. Um, but thank you, Dorothy, for your recommendations, yeah. and thank you for making the time to speak to me as well. I really thank appreciate you. it. Thank and you. It's been really, really fun. Ah, really interesting to learn about uh, what you do. Thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Dorothy. And if you get a moment, could you please like, follow, or subscribe on your podcast platform, and follow the Crew Chats podcast on Instagram? Thank you.